0: Introducing a new association of churches in Mid America, MARBAC. The Mid America Reformed Baptist Association of Churches is a regional association for Reformed Baptist churches holding to the 1689 Confession of Faith, with a goal of partnering together for the advance of the gospel and supporting and planting churches in the region. To learn more or find out how you can be involved, visit That's marbac.org. That's M A R B A C.org. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. According to the Reformed churches of the 17th century, the outward marks of a true church were three— the pure preaching of the word of God, the administration of the sacraments as Christ ordained them, and church discipline. The particular Baptist churches readily agreed with these outward marks, even as they dissented about the nature of the members. This makes sense since some or perhaps many of these churches were formed by people coming out of Reformed churches made up of visible saints. To those of the baptized way, it was imperative that the church be made up of those who credibly professed conversion and lived accordingly. It was the regenerate who were to form the church and exhibit the outward marks of preaching, observing the ordinances, and watch over each other's walk. So church discipline was actively and seriously performed. It ranged from private encouragements from one sister to another— all the way up to the public excommunication of blatant hypocrites. As churches committed to following the teaching and practices of the New Testament, the general pattern of discipline was fairly consistent across churches. The Congregational Church in Bristol that we call Broadmead Baptist was formed in the 1640s and steadily moved toward Baptist convictions through the rest of the century. Since they were always a church of visible saints, their practice of church discipline— didn't noticeably change over the decades, and since their church records are detailed and lengthy, there are many helpful lessons that come from them. As Roger Hayden points out in his excellent introduction to the church records, quote, "...discipline usually expressed itself in a concern for others." This was because Christ intended for the church to be pure, and given the remaining sins still found in each member, they needed to keep a loving watch over each other. All of this aimed at the glory of Christ and the saving good of the members. What we often now call formative discipline was exercised by the church members with each other. They attempted to live closely enough to each other that they could encourage, strengthen, and set a holy example for each other on a regular basis. But in Bristol at this time, the shipping business and general trade had made it England's second most important port. This meant that some members came and went, as business dictated. Others were gone for lengthy stays before returning, and others ended up permanently in various places in England, New England, and even the West Indies. But the church was known to follow up even on these faraway members to inquire about their spiritual life. But when formative discipline didn't bear fruit, corrective discipline was wielded. The pattern followed usually was this. A concerned member would first privately approach the brother about some perceived sin issue. If this wasn't effective, the pattern of Matthew 18 was followed with the concerned brother taking others with him to see the erring one. If this didn't affect repentance, then it was often brought to the attention of the pastor, who next appealed to him, and if there was no change, then it became a matter that was brought before the church. So it became an item at a church meeting. Patience seems to have been a mark of their efforts. Despite the brother having rejected many overtures for change, the church would ordinarily appoint several to visit him. Sometimes this was a pastor, but usually It was simply the men or women who knew the person well. Discipline truly was a congregational matter. If this didn't resolve the situation, the brother was called before the church to hear and answer all charges. Sometimes the person came to the meeting. Other times they didn't, or asked for more time to consider the situation. If admonished, the member could not partake of the Lord's Supper, Sometimes this bar lasted for seven weeks and other times 14. This was the final step before excommunication, which came only to those who utterly refused to admit guilt or to make steps to amend their lives. Their case was normally summed up by the pastor, and then the congregation decided to bar the offender from the church. The decision appears to have been reached using various methods, but the goal was a clear, yes, even unanimous, statement from the church to the offender. The seriousness of the action was displayed in that the pastor would pronounce the sentence of excommunication, and as he did so, the congregation would rise together and the men would remove their hats. They were showing themselves to be submitting to the rule of Jesus Christ, present in their meeting, and cleansing his church. The once visible saint was now considered a visible sinner, no longer a part of the Church, but returned to the world. There are numerous cases of discipline recorded in the Church records. Some end in confession and reinstatement, others in protracted inquiries, denials, and stubbornness. Many are fairly minor. For example, there are cases where members are called upon to, quote, not omit their duty and so to gather for worship. Nothing more is noted, so presumably they returned to the regular worship of God. Others were removed from membership because they had moved to New England to escape persecution. But others were of a more concerning nature. In early 1672, the church sent two men, Brother Reeves and Brother Courtney, to visit Sister Evans. They were to admonish her to, quote, keep her place, unquote. This was a common phrase, for coming to worship. They were concerned because she had apparently begun hearing the Quakers. And this was a friendly and even unofficial visit. Now, why do I call it that? Well, because the records clearly state that Sister Evans and her husband were not members of the church, but they had been regular attenders for some time. Now, interestingly, by conviction, they were, quote, of the free will judgment, which is kin to Quakers, That's what's written in the church book. So out of concern for their spiritual welfare, they pressed Mr. and Mrs. Evans to return to a true church and leave off the heresy of the Quaker preachers. There are a number of other sad cases dealt with by the church over the years. Brother Jeremy Courtney was frequently drunk. He came to the church meeting and said he hoped the Lord would keep him from not falling into that sin again, but the records state, quote, he had so often given good words and failed, the church would trust him no more, but wait to see some fruit. In that same meeting, Brother Henry Fieldust was rebuked for, quote, his passion and disorderly speaking in the church. He declared he was sorry for what he had done and then was asked to step into a side room. The church discussed his repentance and agreed to accept it. And so he was received into the full privileges of the church again. Another case where the church showed exemplary patience was that of Thomas Jacob. He was a member who was being dealt with for drunkenness and non-attendance at worship and days of prayer. The church continued to deal with him for an entire year, hoping for a reformation of life, as they said. But then the church received, quote, the sad tidings, unquote, that Thomas had recently gotten drunk, fought in the street, hit his wife, and swore revenge on a man whom he said had wronged him. So the church decided, quote, for this open sinning, the said Thomas Jacob was withdrawn from by the church and cast out, and the sentence pronounced by our pastor, end quote, Mr. Hardcastle. Despite the trouble they had in talking with him at his home, Thomas Jacob was in the meeting when it was decided that, quote, "...henceforth he was no member of this church, nor to partake of the communion, nor privileges thereof." Church discipline is a true and scriptural mark of the church, and our particular Baptist forefathers pursued it with a combination of love and rigor, The cases we have rehearsed today are fairly straightforward, but as in real life, not all of them were so. And we'll look at some difficult cases in our next episode. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace.